Welcome to WMNF 88.5 FM and WMNF.org. You're listening now to the Tuesday Cafe with Sean Canaan. And before we get started, I want to remind people that if you'd like to listen to the State of the Union tonight, the address tonight begins at 9, and you can listen on our HD3 channel, The Source. Well, we have two main topics on today's show. Later on, we're going to hear about a bill in the Florida legislature that would make rooftop solar less financially attractive for consumers. It's being opposed by the solar industry and by environmentalists. But first up, we're going to hear about environmental issues in northern Pasco County from a group that's trying to protect the rural aspect of their region. Joining me right now by Zoom are Lisa Moretti, who was chair of a rural citizens advisory committee in northern Pasco County and is also part of a group called NoStJoeRVPark.com. And we have Kelly Smith, who is part of the Northeast Pasco Citizens Oversight Committee. And Kelly, you're also running for Dade City Commission. Yes, that's correct. Yep, for the city of Stade City. Well, thank you so much for to both of you for joining me. And uh, why don't you tell us first, what is what was the purpose or is the purpose of the Northeast Pasco Citizens Oversight Committee? Well, the committee was started years ago when the county started to develop its comprehensive plan. And we realized that we needed something special for the rural area, which is... Um, a specific district within Northeast Pasco. And so quite a bit of money was spent. Um, we had consultants brought in, millions of dollars spent to create a plan to design a rural area, lay it out, decide where the boundaries were. And then we realized that we needed to stay on top of that. <laughs> and uh, so Kelly and I are both part of the same group, but Kelly does more work on their behalf than uh, I do. So <laughs> kudos to you, Kel. <laughs> and so that's a voice. That's the voice of Lisa Moretti. But Kelly, what, what would you add to the purpose of that Northeast Pasco Citizens Adv- Oversight Committee? And what can you also tell us about uh, the rules, maybe, for development in that rural boundary? Sure. So there's there's actually kind of a conglomeration of organizations and committees. Um, that are all focused on the Northeast Pasco Rural Protection Area. Um, The NERAC committee that Lisa just mentioned, um, the oversight committee, that was actually put together by the county commissioners um, because when the Northeast Northeast Pasco Rural Overlay District was created um, in 2005 or 2006, um, it was created in response to a proposal for the village of Pasadena Hills and just some overall um, excessive development in that area. And the people in that area, you know, they lived there because it was rural, they wanted it to stay rural. And it's, you know, rural communities are a very important part of our entire um, Pasco ecosystem. So what that what that uh, overlay did was it created um, residential standards um, and, and some additional standards for um, roadways and um, and things of that nature. And there was a plan to come back at a future time to have commercial standards developed. Um, so uh, the committee that Lisa chaired um, that unfortunately the county commissioners disbanded um, last month um, with no public notice or conversation, uh, I will add, um, that committee was really looking at the commercial standards um, and essentially what they um, 
really were doing was looking at non-residential standards, um, which is a, a little bit larger um, of a of a uh, you know thing to consider. But it was important because in a rural overlay area, you're going to have residential and commercial and maybe some light industrial and definitely some agricultural. Um, so it was important to make that distinction. Well, that's- and there are a couple of community groups, um, one of which I'm part of that, you know, doesn't have any authority, um, but is a fantastic organization of civic-minded and engaged citizens who um, are really the ones pushing to make sure that the commission is doing what they said they were going to do. I was going to add that I think it's really important that people understand that the people in the rural area are not naive enough to think that development isn't coming our way. We get that and we anticipated that and that's why the comprehensive plan was laid out the way that it was. Um, our whole point is, is that we came to an agreement and we decided where those commercial aspects should be within the county, uh, where those in the overlay, uh, where the residential and the density levels should be and uh, how those things would be serviced. Um, there are, you know, everybody thinks, oh, you just throw up houses, but there are a lot of things that come into play when you do that. So um, the committee that I was the chair of, part of our job was to say, okay, there are things that are already zoned for commercial and what should be maintained with those? Should there be stuff added? Should there not be stuff added? And most importantly, um, I, I want to stress that we are sort of the pressure valve for the county and you can do development, but it should be around centralized nodes. We've, we've opted for this plan of centralized nodes and that plan then allows for um, development to happen in a way that the, the county can service it, but the county is always going to have to subsidize it. And so we, by not accessing those services and not requiring the level of service because of our low density, become the, the fail safe for the county's budget. And all the county's financial projections are tied to that. <laughs> so it's really important that we be who we are. <laughs> I just want to make sure that people understand that we aren't, we aren't saying that all development's bad. We just say development should go where we all plan to put it. That's the voice of Lisa Moretti, who was the chair of a Rural Citizens Advisory Committee in Northern Pasco County. We heard a moment ago that that was disbanded, and we'll, we'll find out why in, in just a minute. I'm going to get to that in just a bit. We also heard from Kelly Smith, who is a candidate for Dade City Commission and is part of the Northeast Pasco Citizens Oversight Committee. You're listening to Tuesday Cafe with Sean Canan, and we're talking about development in rural areas. And I hope our listeners can, can get the idea that even if they're not in Pasco County, that this is something that really affects us all in the Tampa Bay area and that you can tell your friends to listen in, even if you're in Manatee or Sarasota or Pinellas or Hillsboro or Polk, wherever you are, you know, this is Hernando, of course, this is a really important issue development, especially development in, in the kind of rare um, and unique areas where that are rural still in the Tampa Bay area. So I want to set the scene for people who might not live in Northeast Pasco County. Uh, you may be traveling, if you're traveling north on I-75 from Tampa up through Pinellas County, you're going to encounter this area. There's some rolling hills. What are some other landmarks that people might know uh, in this area? If you're talking about Northeast Pasco County, what are some of the landmarks or, or towns or something that, pe that might, people might identify with? 
Kelly, why don't you tell them about Dave City? Sure. So um, obviously one of the big attractions is the city of Dade City. And I, um, I I lived in Wesley Chapel for 12 years. I moved to Dade City two years ago. And I moved here because I absolutely fell in love with Dade City. And we had the opportunity to move. Um, I love our little town. I love the variety of businesses and restaurants. Um, if you're a foodie, Dade City is absolutely has to be on your list. Um, and it just is such an amazing um, small community. Um, and then outside of the city limits, you've got, um, well, actually within the city limits, you've got the Pasco County Fairgrounds. Um, but right outside the city limits, then you have the area of Blanton Road um, and Lake Iola Road, which is um, really a huge attraction for bicyclists. Um, and motorcyclists um, because there are those rolling hills and um, some of the highest elevations in the state of Florida are actually in this northeast section of Pasco County um, and it is just absolutely beautiful and so for me the attraction to this area is that diversity between you know the small main street town um, you know some subdivisions which you know are again it's it's all part of having a diverse area um, and then these beautiful rolling hills and the farmland and just those open spaces. We also are really enamored of our dark skies. We don't have any street lights. We maintain a low pollution, low light pollution. Um, I live out in the rural, rural area. And so I have um, bald eagles. I have a fox that lives under my back deck and brings her babies every year. Uh, we have a bobcat. We have a Florida panther in, we're in there circular area, you know, that they like to uh, cruise around in. Of course, we have our alligators and all of that. Um, we have um, just a myriad of beautiful, amazing wildlife, sandhill cranes, wild turkeys. Um, you know, it's, it's a joy to be able to coexist with them. And for we, we love that people want to come and take a drive through our area or come out and stargaze our um, hit our high tops and be able to see the whole area, you know, the broad vistas. Um, we have some amazing, what we call view sheds, which was a new term to me when I first got here. Um, but, you know, these beautiful, expansive rolling hill areas and ponds and lakes and, and cows and horses all grazing about, you know, I mean, you, you almost expect like little blue bows and like they come prancing along type of thing because it's so picturesque, you know. But um, it's really, it's a unique aspect of Florida. I don't think that there's any place else like this in the state of Florida. And once you pave it, then you lose it because those animals aren't going to be coming back. And when we lose the light, I mean, when we lose our dark skies, it's hard to get it back. Oh. That's the voice of Lisa Moretti. She was the chair of a Rural Citizens Advisory Committee in Northern Pasco County. She also has a website called nostjoerpark.com, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. And we also heard from Kelly Smith, who was, is a Dade City candidate for office and also part of the Northeast Pasco Citizens Oversight Committee. So why don't we talk right now about your website, nostjoerpark.com, Lisa Moretti. There, there was... Um, a 550-unit RV resort on 130 acres near I-75 in the rural zone, kind of near the, not too far from the border with Hernando County, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so what's what's the story with this RV park and why do you oppose it? 
So um, the RV park is on Lake Iola Road, which is a two-lane scenic rural road. And um, this piece of property is not located near the interstate exchange, interchange, but the interstate does bind it on one side. So um, at first it was much more density. Uh, in our area, our density level is one dwelling unit per five acres. And as a as the uh, minimum, like you can't do anything less than that. <laughs> so um, all of a sudden we're talking about, you know, 24 times the density on a piece of land. And um, the property had formerly been owned by our county commissioner's sister. And um, it was sold to a developer as a rural ag zoning and he has asked for two things. One is to increase his zoning and two, to create a special aspect in the comprehensive plan for RV parks specifically. So those two things start to create some um, precedents that other people that are at nearby properties can say, hey, you gave it to him, how come not me? So that was one point of opposition. Um, the next thing is, is that we're talking about 550 RVs. We are sewer and well, and we would like to stay that way. So they're going to have to put in a wastewater treatment plant on one of our lakes, and that's Lake Moody. If you've ever come up I-75 and you drive across this one part where there's lake on both sides, that's Lake Moody. So 75 bisected that. Um, we're talking about <laughs> two swimming pools, a splash pad, water hookups for all 550 units, um, uh, laundry facilities, bar and restaurant, um, also a fitness area, and um, they're touting a nature trail experience <clears throat> and that they'll have passive recreation on Lake Moody. All of us are a little bit chagrined at that idea because Lake Moody is also Alligator Central. <laughs> so <laughs> we don't want to see that. But more than that, too, is that this, road, Lake Iola Road, is a beautiful scenic road and also extremely popular with bicyclists. And so when you talk about putting, they're actually, their focus is to attract the great big RVs, the super giant ones. And then most of those have a tow along behind them. And so our road isn't really designed to handle that kind of impact along with sharing it with both the motorcyclists and the um, bicyclists. Um, we don't have a lot of pedestrians out here because we're super rural. It's just, you know, you got to walk pretty far to get to somebody else's house. <laughs> but um, it, we, we aren't designed to handle that sort of impact on that road. Uh, we're also, because we are on wells, uh, when we had oranges out here quite a bit before the greening really hit, uh, when they would go to freeze the crop, they pump a lot of water out to freeze the fruit on the tree. When they would do that, it would also dramatically reduce our water pressure. And a lot of our citizens out here ended up actually pumping sand out of their wells. So now we're looking at somebody coming in and doing 550 times two, because most people travel with someone, um, on top of our water usage. And we don't know how they're going to fulfill that water use. Um, also our water in Pasco County goes to Pinellas and um, even further south in Hillsboro, 
uh, we're their water supply. We sell them our water. <laughs> and so when we say, well, who's going to have enough water? You know, if you all of a sudden add all these, you know, we have a lot of subdivisions going in and that kind of thing. But now also on top of that, you're going to add this RV park in the rural area. This is insanity. How are our wells going to be affected? How are we going? We've been out here paying our taxes for years and we created this community. So what's the deal? Do we not matter? And we kind of just get brushed aside and we're told that we're not experts and that we the, the classic one was when we were told that uh, we didn't know what quality of life was and had no voice in making those opinions. <laughs> it was like, uh, we live here. <laughs> so it's, it's been an interesting ride. Let's just say that. <laughs> we're speaking with Lisa Moretti, who is chair of a rural citizens advisory committee in Northern Pasco County. She has a website called no St. Joe RV park.com. You're listening to Tuesday cafe with Sean Canan. It's 10 23 in the morning. And Lisa, um, I said you were part, were the chair of a rural citizens advisory committee in Northern Pasco, but in a, in a meeting, um, I believe it was in, was it in January or yeah, in January, Pasco County commissioners unanimously disbanded that rural citizens advisory committee for being too negative. I want to play a short clip from that meeting. Here's Pasco commissioner, Ron Oakley speaking in January at that county commission meeting right before the advisory committee was disbanded. You're listening to WMNF Tampa. We uh, set up a rural advisory committee to help me decide what needs to happen in the rural area where we do not have all the uh, rules and restrictions. And, uh, I say restrictions, there are rules to follow for development and what's happening in the rural area. Well, we were formed, and if anybody listened to the uh, uh, Planning Commission the other day, they brought up my name a few times that I would allow them in our, our first meeting where we were forming that advisory committee. They said I wouldn't let them talk about the RV park. It wasn't on our agenda that day. It was an enclave that we would probably get to as we had more meetings. But in the meeting the other day, they referred to it that I wouldn't allow them to speak to that item. And because it wasn't on the agenda, we were not there. We were trying to set up the advisory committee like the board had addressed me to take care of for them. And that was the purpose of that meeting, not for them to attack me on different projects that were going to come up in the uh, northeast rural area. And uh, since then, at the planning commission, our chairman of the rural advisory committee on her own came and spoke before the planning commission against the RV park as chairman. And no one, I don't think anyone directed her to do so, but she did. And I don't think that's the way this advisory committee should work, I think. And to let you know, we've had three or four meetings. We haven't gotten a lot of good advice from this committee, to say the least to be able to advise you on much of anything because most of the answers coming from it are negative or no. We can't do that. We don't want to do that. We we don't want traffic down uh, County Road 41. That's arterial road from the interstate to Dade City. We have to have traffic on that, but they've said no to that. They don't want any development around that intersection, which is a major intersection of Pasco County 
as you come from the north down 75. They don't want anything there. And it just the vi it's not working right now because I'm not getting advice. I'm getting negative no's about a lot of things. Well, that was Pasco County Commissioner Ron Oakley speaking during a meeting in January. And later in that meeting, uh, I think it sounded like a staff member perhaps brought up the idea, well, you could just disband this committee. And that's actually what happened. And he was referring there to the chair of the committee, the Rural Citizens Advisory Committee. And while while that was playing, my guest Lisa Moretti raised her hand that he was referring to her. So Lisa, what was your reaction when you heard that your the, the, the advisory committee that you had been chairing was was disbanded? Well, it's really surprising. Um, one, uh, Mr. Oakley really misrepresented what happened at the Planning Commission. Uh, as the committee chair, I came to the Planning Commission and said, uh, I come to you wearing two hats. One, as the chair of the NERAC committee, we would, I would ask you to delay for 60 days on this decision and let my committee have a chance to give you some recommendations about how they feel about this. And Unfortunately, multiple times during public comment at our NERAC committee meetings, the public asked, what about the RV park? And they were told on more than one occasion that that was not to be discussed. And so I said, you know, we haven't had a chance to discuss it. And it would be, I think, more transparent to give the committee a chance to look at what should happen with this RV park. Um, so a little bit misrepresented there. Uh, it was actually Commissioner Moore that said, well, if they're not doing what you don't want them to do, you know, just go ahead and disband them. Um, no one ever asked me, talked to me, called me, anything, <laughs> nothing, didn't even ask me to come to the, the next meeting, you know. Um, the way that I found out that it had been disbanded was that the Tampa Bay Times called me for comment. Um, I found it really uh, sad in one respect because the committee was really a nice, diverse amalgam of different interests and stakeholders in the region. I think the planning office had done a phenomenal job of bringing multiple viewpoints to the table. And we all had the chance to get to know each other, each other's concerns, what we could do, what people wanted to see happen, what they didn't want to see happen. Um, I, I thought it was a really great experience in terms of allowing the community to understand each other's vision for what should happen. A little bit further downstream from what you played, um, Mr. Oakley actually said that his vision for the rural area was lots of density surrounded by trees so you didn't notice it and that to him was rural. I totally disagree with that. I'm very negative on that. <laughs> um, I, I think it was disappointing that when you have citizens telling you what they want for their area and it doesn't agree with what you want, that that means that we aren't doing anything. There was actually a, a whole node that was voted on to be yes for development and that um, exit 293 that he was talking about off of I-75 is actually zoned for an employment center. We have commercial right around that. What we were opposing was that someone wanted to put in a truck stop and Right now, as that intersection, that whole interchange exists, you go from doing, let's be honest, 95 on 75 at that point <laughs> to an off-ramp at 25. 
So we end up pulling a lot of people out of the ditch over there. Um, you know, it's a country community. We all help each other out. We, we are pulling people out and helping people, you know, figure out what they just did wrong. And to be able to try to put an 18 wheeler looking to fuel up on that interchange would not work. And when it was originally designed, it was consciously designated as an exit that would not be commercially high intensity development. They wanted this to be, it's basically the portal to um, the Northeast rural area and to Pasco County. And so they wanted this to be the hello entry and that wasn't, you know, warehouses and high industrial. So that's where that whole argument got kind of wonky. <laughs> We're kind of running out of time in this segment, but I want to give you um, maybe a, a moment or two to let people know if they'd like to find out more about this issue and get involved in uh, working, working, working with issues in rural Northeast Pasco County, where can they go? Where can they find information? Well, you start. Um, so, um, outside of, uh, Lisa's website, I would say, um, a quick plug for my campaign website, which is kellysmithfordadecity.com. Um, and I say that only because you can contact me through that and and be happy to, um, help with some resources and, and helping to get people information. Um, there are also a number of Facebook groups, um, the voice of Dade city is one, um, that is particularly active in that area. And uh, my No St. Joe RV Park site that is a group of us that manage that. Um, that's a great resource for what's going on, what people can do to help. Um, we always appreciate to the commissioners. I just always ask that people. And Lisa's breaking up a bit. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get, oh, there she goes. Lisa, you're back. So um, okay, you're sure. saying right to the commissioners, so, I believe. Yeah. It, you know, anyone can write to our county commissioners and tell them that they don't think that this development idea is a good one. Um, I always ask that people CC us because uh, sometimes those go into a black hole and we don't find out that people are actually sending those in. So I appreciate it when people include us in their in their letters. We always ask that people be respectful too. And when is the commission? Um, there's also um, an ongoing meeting every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. at the IHOP on 301. <laughs> And that's an open meeting. Everyone's welcome. When will the commissioners decide about this RV park? So we have um, our next uh, meeting is coming up in April. Is it April 4th, 5th or April 8th? I can't remember. Whatever the Tuesday is. <laughs> Kelly will look at the website really so quick for me. Tuesday I'm in April. I'm not calendar girl. I'm really bad at calendar. Um, but yes, it's coming up and, and we welcome everyone to be there. Unfortunately, the meetings are at 1.30 in the afternoon at the old historic Dade City Courthouse. Um, and I know that's right in the middle of people's work days and not too much of a fan of them doing it that way. Well, I wanna thank you both for coming on WMNF's Tuesday Cafe, Lisa and Kelly, thanks so much. Thank you so thank much, you so Sean. Much. Lisa Moretti was the chair of a Rural Citizens Advisory Committee in Northern Pasco County. Her website is nostjoerpark.com. Kelly Smith is a candidate for Dade City Commission and is, was, is part of the Northeast Pasco Citizens Oversight Committee. You're, after this short music break, we're going to hear about a bill in Tallahassee that's being fought by environmentalists and by the solar power industry. You're listening to Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. We'll be right back after this very short music break.
WMNF's Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. A bill in the Florida legislature could have the effect of limiting rooftop solar power. HB 741 is opposed by environmentalists and by the solar power industry. And I'm bringing on two guests right now. Wayne Wallace is founder and CEO of Solar Source, and Scott McIntyre is the CEO and president of Solar Energy Management. Welcome to WMNF's Tuesday Cafe, Scott and Wayne. Hey, Sean. Hey, good. Hey, good morning. Can you hear me, Sean? We can hear you just fine. So thank you very much for coming on the show. Um, first, um, since our audience doesn't know who's speaking, who who is who, why don't you um, maybe one of you introduce yourself and then say, give a little background. Let's start with the concept of net metering in when it comes to solar power. Okay. Um, I guess I'll start. Hi, Wayne Wallace, CEO, founder of Solar Source. Um, back in 2008, we had a policy developed called net metering, solely uh, electric systems uh, for homes and businesses at that time was very expensive. So we didn't do much with it. And the utility companies just said, hey, take it. You know, that stuff's too expensive anyways. And over the years, uh, this net metering, which enables one to uh, synchronize with the electric grid on your home or your business, uh, it enables you to do a one-for-one net metering credit so if you you know consume a kilowatt hour of electricity you can push back a kilowatt hour of electricity and uh solar uh photovoltaics that's the solar electric panels and inverters and everything you need to have your own you know mini power plant on your home or your business those costs have come down about two thousand percent since 2008 so economically they make a lot of sense so maybe the um, in the most basic way of saying it is if you have solar power on your roof and you're generating solar power, you don't have to pay the, the company for the power that you provide, that you, that you provide. That is correct. In fact, um, every person or business that invests in a solar power plant on their home or their business, they're actually doing a service to the electric grid. So they're making it stronger. Uh, they're making it more resilient. Uh, it's more of a microgrid. Uh, it's less costly to maintain, uh, you know, people that have solar systems. Uh, the, the value added, the, the, the value of solar is oftentimes 50% greater than the retail number. So it helps everybody wins. It lowers the cost for everyone. That's Wayne Wallace, founder and CEO of Solar Source. We also have Scott McIntyre on the line, CEO and president of Solar Energy Management. And we're going to be talking about this bill in the Florida legislature, but I'm trying to kind of set the scene here of maybe the history of solar in Florida and why people have solar power before we get to this bill and how that might change things. So um, maybe it's still, I'm asking Wayne, I don't know, unless Scott wants to weigh in on this. For example, if I let's say it's a it's a good month for sun but it's not super hot or super cold and i don't have to run my electricity that much and i actually create more uh sol- more power from my solar rooftop than my house uses i can sell some of that 
energy back to the grid, back to all the rest of them. So how much would, for example, Duke Energy or Tico pay me for a kilowatt hour of energy versus how much a, a consumer would pay those companies for that amount? Scott, you want to take it? Oh, go ahead, Wayne. Go ahead. Okay. So basically, Sean, if you're, you know, you really want to size a solar power plant for your home or your business to offset, you know, 75 to 100% of your electrical load. So it doesn't behoove you to generate more than you use because uh, the utilities only pay what's called an avoided cost after you chew up with everything that you use. So the avoided cost is about three cents a kilowatt hour. So we size systems just to do 75 to 100% of people's electrical load. And uh, some people say, hey, I'm gonna get electric cars. Uh, can you, you know, can we size it up? Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. The electric utilities don't like you sizing up right now. <laughs> they just don't want you to, I mean, they, they don't like energy efficiency. In fact, they hate it. And they don't like rooftop solar. They hate it. Well, we're going to find out more about how much they hate it and how much uh, effort they're putting into harming it in, in, I'm sure, as how you would describe it later in the show. But, um, you know, I, I think my point there was the getting to the point where they're going to pay you three cents a kilowatt hour, whereas you're going to pay them a lot more. So there's already kind of a built in maybe you could use the word disadvantage to for an advantage that the solar that the the power companies have if you have solar they get to buy it at wholesale and they can sell it back at the retail prices so the whole reason i set that up is just to get to this point where this bill that we're going to talk going to talk about which is called um house bill um 741. Thank you. House yep. Bill 741. It's moving through the Florida legislature. And uh, the, the premise of the bill is that the, the solar, the, the, sorry, the um, utilities, the, the power companies think that solar rooftop people with so, solar rooftops are kind of harming the rest of us by not uh, um, contributing enough to the upkeep of the grid, for example. So what would that House bill do? Well, um, that there's a House Bill 741, there's a Senate Bill Companion 1024, and these bills would basically cripple the rooftop solar industry in Florida and take us back 20 years. Uh, you know, they really, again, you know, electric utilities, they, they're in the business selling electricity, not having people generate it on their home or business. So uh, energy efficiency and rooftop solar, they really just want to, you know, just stop it. Uh, they don't like it. And it's going to harm about 40,000 jobs. And it's going to, it's going to, you know, it, it'll, it'll stop solar choice for homeowners and businesses that would like to generate their own power. Be solar farmers, essentially. You know, you, uh, you put solar panels in your yard, you put them on your rooftop and you got your own power plant and the utility companies, they don't want us being independent. They don't want that freedom of choice. So essentially, uh, this bill is going to kill. Uh, it's like a, uh, it's like chopping the legs off the solar industry in Florida. And yeah, what does it do? Well, the bill exactly what it does is instead of giving a one for one uh, credit. So if you buy a kilowatt hour and you produce a kilowatt hour, they only want to pay you. Uh, first, I think the first year they want to give you uh, 75% of the retail. And then they want to move it to 50% of retail. And then they want to give you avoided cost, which is three cents. 
So they want to charge you retail 12 cents and only pay you three cents. So it's really, basically it's a crime. And, uh, you know, they've, uh, you know, you get a, just as an example, a, a utility like Florida Power and Light, you know, their profits are about 18 billion a year. So, you know, they, uh, they've paid off the uh, uh, legislators in Tallahassee. I mean, we've had hundreds, hundreds of people testify that, you know, there is no cost subsidy. Uh, we have proof. In fact, in my hands here is testimony from the Duke Energy Carolinas that shows that solar actually helps the grid. And everybody wins. Everybody does better. And we also have a report from the University of Central Florida that shows, hey, rooftop solar is less costly than utility scale solar. So, you know, while, you know, we go to these hearings in Tallahassee and they just, they state over and over and over that, hey, uh, you know, uh, poor people are subsidizing rich people that get solar. And then the fact of it is, is 35% of everybody that buys a solar system, their income's less than $50,000. So these are hardworking Floridians who want to save money on their electric bill. And if this bill passes, that that option to save money on your electric bill, it's gone. So, you know, they just want to take away that freedom. So, you know, that's uh, that's a power grab, basically, right? Our guest is Wayne Wallace, founder and CEO of Solar Source. We're also speaking with Scott McIntyre, the CEO and president of Solar Energy Management. I'm Sean Canan. You're listening to Tuesday Cafe. It's 1044 in the morning. And uh, Scott, I wanted to give you a chance to weigh in here. Uh, I don't know if, if uh, I heard Wayne say that Florida Power and Light was kind of um, uh, really behind this bill. What do we know about who is sponsoring or who is funding the, the bill here? It's it's really straightforward because they didn't even try to hide the paper trail. The paper trail is clear. They they sent the language for the bills to uh, Senator Bradley in the Senate and to Representative McClure in the House, and uh, they they copied that language from Florida Power and Light. And then miraculously, right after that, their money showed up in their accounts. So this is a power grab. Unfortunately. Politics, the way it works in Florida, is follow the money. And so the bottom line is, is that uh, 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 they are paying the politicians off to get this done. So our only recourse, since we don't have the same kind of money, is to get your listeners to contact uh, uh, Speaker Sprouls, that's Chris Sprouls in the House, and to uh, the Senate President, Wilton Simpson, and or Ron DeSantis, the governor, and say, kill this bill. It is anti-Floridian, it's anti-solar. One of their arguments, Sean, is that the solar penetration, the amount of power that comes from solar statewide is too much. And so consequently, uh, um, and just for our, your, your listeners edification, solar only contributes 4% of power production in the state of Florida. Coal produces 12% of power in the state of Florida. So 4% to them is too much. At the same time, what's gonna happen when this bill passes, and frankly, the bill will pass, uh, is the utilities will pick it up. They will build customers for utility solar. They'll get all the incentives that regular businesses and homeowners get. So it costs them less to produce power. And then they'll sell that cheap power, that's their solar power, to us for full retail rate. 
So again, the only recourse that we have, we appreciate you coming on the show, is for your listeners to contact Speaker Sprouls, Senator, uh, Senate President Simpson, and Governor DeSantis. Yep. Our guests are Scott McIntyre, the CEO and President of Solar Energy Management. And our other guest is Wayne Wallace, founder and CEO of Solar Source. And they're here to talk about HB 741 and a companion Senate bill. They're moving through the Florida legislature right now that would change net metering rules for solar power. And they, they and others have said that it would really hurt the solar power industry and it would hurt solar rooftop energy production in Florida. And the bill is ready for a vote in the full house because it passed three committees there. It's going to be heard, I believe, in the Senate Rules Committee today at 1.30 before if, if, it vote, if it's supported there, it will go then to the full Senate. So it's almost, almost ready, like two more votes, I guess three more votes until it's ready to go to Governor DeSantis's uh, desk to be signed. So what would you say to people about the urgency of people acting now? Again, we have, we have the ability to light their phones up. We have the ability to, to stuff their emails full of, of emails saying, do not vote for this bill. We are aware of who you are. I mean, Senator, Senate President Wilton Simpson is, going, is running for agricultural commissioner. If he wants to be, if you want, if he wants your vote, tell him that you're aware that he's allowed this to happen and he's not stopped it. Again, we're, we're talking about 40,000 people that will lose their jobs in the state of Florida. The state, the Florida solar industry will be set back over 20 years. The reason why this bill is such a damage is because it takes the financial model as to why you buy solar, that's the return on investment, and doubles it, pushes it way out. So consequently, most businesses will not do it. They'll, they'll just wait. That ah, doesn't work, won't do it. And that's why Florida Power and Light decided to, to go this route. And so the only thing we have, since we don't have money, is the ability to call their phones, to email them, and tell them, kill the bill. That's it. And Scott, I just got an email in that I'd like to read, and maybe either you or Wayne could answer it. Uh, this is comes from D- David in Dunedin, and his question is, if I have solar, would it help me if I go off the grid? So that's his question. Wayne, you want to take that? Yeah, so you know there are rules, and the uh, the monopoly investor-owned utilities like Florida Power and Light, Duke, Tico, all of them, they've gotten into the building code. Uh, new construction, you have to have a hookup to electrical power, and then if you uh, if you want to uh, disconnect from the electrical grid, some states in Florida and some municipalities will allow you to do so. Some won't. So you need batteries and then you have to, you know, you have to synchronize and all this kind of stuff. So it gets a little more complex and uh, it can be done in some areas, but you got to check the laws. That's the voice of Wayne Wallace, founder and CEO of Solar Source. We also have been hearing from Scott McIntyre, the CEO and president of Solar Energy Management. You're listening to WMNF's Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. It's 1049 in the, in the morning. If you'd like to email us a question, it's dj at wmnf.org. We might have time to take some calls as well. 813-239-9663. You can also text 813-433-0885. If you do text, please sign your name. 
So uh, I've heard the two of you talk about the number of solar energy jobs that might be lost with this bill. You're saying up to 40,000 jobs. What makes you think that jobs will be lost in the solar power energy in Florida if HB 741 and its Senate companion pass in the Florida legislature? Well, as Scott mentioned earlier, that basically it's the return on investment. I mean, hey, solar energy needs to make economic sense. Rooftop solar makes all kinds of economic sense, but this bill, if it's passed, the uh, you know the uh, utility companies, they want that economic modeling to, to, to be worse. So instead of paying you full retail, they wanna pay you 75% for a year and then 50% for a year. And then, uh, you know, instead of paying 12 cents of what they charge you, they wanna pay you, you know, six cents and then they wanna pay you three cents. So it takes the return on investment, you know, it just pushes it out there. So economically, it makes it harder to make the numbers work. And it does hurt the grid too. So, and it, and it makes natural gas more expensive to buy too, Sean. So, you know, we've heard words that, oh yeah, you know, this is a cross subsidy. It's gonna be a train wreck and all these people are paying for solar. That's so, that's such a, a fallacy, you know, false information. Solar helps strengthen the grid. It helps lower costs for everyone, and uh, it just has it just makes economic sense. And heck, you know, it's just so we get clean air and we get clean water. What beautiful fringe benefits those are too, you know, for future generations. I mean, you know, they want to kill democracy is really what this is about, you know. And and they have a monopoly, and they don't want people putting solar on their rooftops. Hey, Sean, Sean, one thing is very important for your listeners to understand is east of the Mississippi, the state of Florida gets the most solar rating energy. I'll say that one more time. East of the Mississippi, the state of Florida gets the most solar rating energy. We're only we we our power production from it is only four percent of the grid. And then by by 2030, it's projected that power will 85 percent of our power in Florida will come from natural gas. Frankly, I don't have a problem with natural gas. The issue is you are, instead of the 4% that you're at right now, it's going to go down. Utilities are going to say, oh, no, no, no. We're going to put more up. DeSantis says, oh, we're going to have, we're going to be a leader in solar power. Well, you can't be a leader in solar power because you don't have enough open land. What you have in Florida is you have rooftops. Rooftop solar is the future of solar in the state of Florida. End of subject. Okay. Amen. Our guests are Scott McIntyre, the CEO and president of Solar Energy Management, and Wayne Wallace, the founder and CEO of Solar Source. We're talking about HB 741, which is moving quickly through the Florida House of Representatives and Senate. Uh, let me ask you this about the monopoly utilities. They have a financial incentive to do things like build new coal or whatever, any kind of fossil fuel power plants. They get, they get subsidies or they get um, that kind of is taken out of their costs. You would think that in general, if, it, if this were set up in a way that made business sense, that they would be going for the cheapest way to produce energy, which is solar power, but they're, they're, uh, they're really pushing hard against this solar power. What is it about the monopoly utilities, the way that they're set up that, that makes it kind of disincentivizes people having their own power creation? Yeah, Sean, let me let me answer that. So the monopoly electric utilities were set up about over a hundred years ago to, you know, expand and do, you know, rural electrification of our country, all throughout the country. Made sense a hundred years ago. And they were incentivized to 
uh, build generation facilities, do transmission lines, tra uh, distribution lines, substation, peaker power plants, you know, build the infrastructure. That was their incentive. And they get a 12% return on that incentive. So, you know, they don't really make much money when they sell electricity, but they make a, a minimum of a 12% return on capital expenditures for, you know, new generation facilities, transmission lines. So, you know, if they sell more electricity, they get to build more generation facilities and they make more money. If they sell less electricity, they build less generation facilities and they make less money. So the 100-year-old business model is antiquated. It just needs to be changed. If it were changed, they would be on the side, you know, they'd be on the low-cost side of rooftop solar. But the their whole business model is so old the last monopoly in the United States, it's outdated. It's their business model that needs to be changed, not the net metering policy that needs to be changed. We have an email question from Char in Largo who says she has rooftop solar through solar source and Duke Energy is allowed to charge me a minimum of $30 a month whether I use that much power because the Florida Public Service Commission said they could. I have logged a complaint with the FPSC but really don't expect much of a response. So what can you tell us about this new minimum $30 a month charge? Well, yeah, here's what happened there. So we have a law in the books where the legislature is supposed to promote uh, the further development of rooftop solar, distributed solar, they call it. And, uh, you know, they're in Tallahassee right now trying to kill it. So, you know, they just don't observe that law. Uh, so that law, you know, you're not supposed to, uh, you know, single out any technology. Well, initially that $30 charge was going to be just for solar only. And they realized that they can't discriminate against solar. So then they decided the attorneys, at, you know, they've got their own legal team. Some of these, uh, Monopoly utilities have three, four, five hundred attorneys on their on their uh, payroll. They basically uh, said, "Well, we were going to charge thirty dollars a month just for solar users. Let's just charge a minimum thirty dollars for everybody." So they didn't break that law. So that's what happened there. That's Wayne Wallace, founder and CEO of Solar Source. Scott McIntyre is with us as well. He's the CEO and president of Solar Energy Management. You're listening to eighty-eight point five FM WMNF Tampa. Mike writes in and asks, when will they vote? And I believe the answer is today at 1.30, the Senate Rules Committee is voting on this bill. Is that right? And then if that passes, then it'll go to the Florida House, the full Florida House and the full Florida Senate. When will that be? Correct. Well, you're right about the 1.30 vote today. It's the last committee stop. It's passed that five previous committee stops, even with... Uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of solar uh, companies and employees and hardworking Floridians and solar system owners have come up to Tallahassee to testify against this bill. But they pass it. Uh, they believe there's a cross subsidy. They believe it costs more money, which is totally the opposite of the, the facts. So uh, after this, you know, it'll probably pass today at 1.30. And, uh, you know, they'll have 100 people in opposition, two people, four. But they've been, you know, the legislators have already been paid off. And, uh, you know, this is, if there's ever been a done deal, this is the biggest done deal I've ever seen in my life. And then it goes to the House floor. Then it goes to the Senate floor. And nobody can be present for that. And if it passes these two, uh, House floor, Senate floor, after today, 
then it becomes law unless the governor stops it. He's the only guy that can stop it after that as a governor. But as Scott mentioned, call House Speaker Chris Sprouls, call Senate President Wilton Simpson, and call Governor DeSantis. So we have their phone numbers. We sent them to you, Sean, and we have their email addresses. We got to light them up. We got to call people out there that want freedom for solar and want choice. And uh, the only thing we can do at this point is just light up their phones, as Scott said. Let's see if we have time to take one call. We have Shannon in Tampa. Hi, Shannon. Can you quickly ask your question? Yeah, I want to go and ask, what if the electric companies decided that, hey, if you can't use what you generate or find a way of storing it yourself, we don't want any of it. You can't put your electricity on our grid. Thank you for that question. So uh, that would, I guess, do if there was no net metering, what would the consequences be then? Well, if there were no net metering and it's a law to be hooked up to the electric utility, then you're just it'd be illegal for you to install solar. So they're, they're going to tell you, sorry, you can't do that. That's the way it is in some states. Now, here in Florida, you know, you can hook up solar. And if they said, we don't want your power, then you do it with batteries. And you'd still have to be disconnected from the grid. And if you can't be disconnected, then your options and your choices are basically just to keep paying them until as long as you live. And those rates are going to go up, you know, 5% per year, which they have been. That's the average. Well, so, yeah. Well, Scott and Wayne, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you very much for coming on WMNF's Tuesday Cafe. Great. Uh, contact your representatives, Senator and Go- Governor DeSantis. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, Sean. Thank you for your listeners. Yeah, thanks very much. Wayne Wallace is founder and CEO of Solar Source, and Scott McIntyre is the CEO and president of Solar Energy Management. You've been listening to WMNF Tampa, 88.5 FM. This is the Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. Thanks to John Dunn for answering phones. You've been listening to Tuesday Cafe. It's every Tuesday morning at 10. And if you like the programming on 88.5 FM, please consider donating at WMNF.org. In this time slot tomorrow, Shelly will host Midpoint and we'll hear that... The rent is too damn high. Her guests will be Tampa City Councilmember Luis Vieira and a leader with the St. Pete Tampa Tenants Union. And next up, we have Wavemakers with Janet and Tom Sherberger. That's coming up after NPR headlines. You're listening to WMNF Tampa, St. Petersburg, Sarasota, and Lakeland. Thanks so much for listening.